You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. I'm loving the new space, I gotta tell you. It is awesome. I want to thank you. So many of y'all gave sacrificially, faithfully. You've served. You put together furniture, all that. And and I got to say, God didn't allow us to have this new space so we could come in at a time like this and go, look what we did. Um, It's a time for us to step back and go, thank you, God, for what you did, because I don't get excited about concrete and walls and rocks and lights and steel and all that. I get excited when life comes into the house, because the church is not a building. The church is a people. It's flesh and blood. And so today, this weekend, um, the church is inhabiting the facility um, that God has given us. So it's, it's his vision. It's his purposes. And I'm excited for that. It's, you know, one of the things, if you remember that cheesy video I did two years ago, and we showed it a couple weeks ago, I said something about the lobby. I said, it's a place where sometimes more ministry will happen there than in here. That's been happening today. And what's amazing is I stood in there and I was looking, I see people at tables and I see ministry happening. I see people on the couches ministering to one another. I got to be in the prayer room earlier. And, and uh, so if you don't know where the prayer room is, it's where that lift is because we can lift you up, right? So it's, you're welcome. I'll be here for one more service. Um, tip your waitresses. Uh, but it's, I'm excited about it, and so I just want to thank all the, all the folks that came out this week and helped put together furniture. I didn't hear any breakdowns, or there, wasn't no, there was no fits of cursing, and, and I don't think we have to do any major repentance from having to use that little, uh, that Allen wrench from Ikea, you know, the one that will drive you to frustration. So we figured out how to use a drill to do all that, and it was like, praise God, the promised land. This is awesome. Uh, we got it now, um, but I want to thank you. I also want to, there's a, there was a lot going on in the house and a lot going on out of the house this week when it comes to the creek. Wednesday was our gift drop-off for Northbrook, and, and this year we, we uh, just blessed the socks off of Eagle Mountain Saginaw District, and uh, two weeks ago we did a drop-off for Gilliland Elementary, and just they were just floored by the, the kindness and generosity of the creek. This week we got to take the gifts over to Northbrook and and unload them and actually be a part of giving those to, to the parents as they came to pick up the gifts. And this year is something we were able to do because of your generosity. Every child that got a, a gift, a Christmas blessing bag that you bought gifts for also got a full bag of food. Um, and some of the, to some of the parents, that was more important than the gifts because they knew their kids are going to have food over Christmas break. And so as I was I got to be a part of serving, and, and there's, there's one image that just, just stuck with me this week. Um, there was a bike. One of you, uh, you, a lot of you bought bikes, and that was, that was awesome. But there was one bike in particular that even had my eye. I was like, man, when some of these gifts clear out of this gym, I'm going to ride that thing. Because it was awesome. I mean, it, is, it, was, it was, yes, good job, whoever did that. But I'm watching it, and then all of a sudden, the mom came in to get, the, and it was, it was their gifts, and she brought the son, and they didn't know he was getting a bike. I mean, she thought she was coming to pick up a bag of food and a bag that was, you know, had all the gifts for the kids in it, and uh, he walked in. It was kind of like, you know, hands in the pockets, like, oh, I want to go, mom. Like, you're making me go back to school, and so he just looked so just put out by having to come, come back up to the school for this, and when the volunteer rolled that bike out, his eyes, if, if, I mean, they were huge. And, and he looks, he's like, is that my bike? 
And they were like, this is your bike, buddy. And, and this kid that walked in the school like this, uh, walked, he, he didn't walk out, he skipped out. I mean, the f- smile on his face, and, and, and I told the volunteer I was standing with, I was like, you know his mom's gonna have to let him ride that bike before Christmas, because he knows what he's got, he knows it's there, and I said, he's gonna be riding that thing tonight. But his grin, his whole countenance was changed. And I just wanna thank you for being kind in our community and being a church that is willing to do that. As we were putting together furniture, we, I was walking through the facility this week, and was just looking at, I mean, literally the thousands and tens of thousands of dollars that you spent on food and gifts for the purpose of showing kindness and blessing our community. So thank you. I love that I get to be a part of a church that does that, that loves our community in that way. And it's awesome. And I mean, this little boy and all the kids, man, are gonna be so just excited to see what they get on Christmas Day. And this kid with the bike, that'll forever change me. I mean, it's just one of those images that's gonna stick with me. And it's because we all have gifts. You know, all of us have gifts. No matter how old we get, we still have those gifts. We're like, I hope I get this. I hope I get this. Some of you already know what you're getting. Some don't. We all have those gifts we're excited about. And we have those ones we're not excited about, right? Um, I mean, we all, I, mean, I just wonder how many, don't raise your hand because the person who gave it to you might be sitting with you, but how many of us are holding on to, to something, a gift we got that we wish we would have exchanged? Don't raise a hand. So I, I'm getting better with my family about saying, yeah, I think I'm going to exchange this. Because I, I love, I was like, I love your heart behind this. Love that you thought of me. Hate the gift. Hate the gift is inner monologue, okay? Inner monologue, folks. But it's like, I, I appreciate that you think I should fit a medium, but that ain't happening. Um, and so I think I'm going to exchange this. And, and I hate exchanging clothes, especially. I mean, it just, I hate dressing rooms. This is just Matt's theology, but I think a dressing room is a part of hell. Because they, they turn the heat up in there, and they put this circus mirror in there that makes me look twice the size I am. I know I'm not that big, folks. I mean, so, and I just hate dressing rooms. A couple years ago, I was in the dressing room, and I was trying to find shirts, and Heather and Abby are outside, and they keep throwing clothes over. And so everything, I, I'm trusting their judgment that everything they throw over is, is something I need to try on. All of a sudden, this vest, sweater vest, comes over the thing, and I was like, oh, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. And I was like, no, no, they'll go, no, 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 that's, it's, in, it's back in style, that's the style. Put it on, put it on, put it on, we want to see it. And so I put it on, and I realized how much they hate me. <laughs> to say that the buttons were pulling is an understatement. And so I was like, all right, you want to see it? You're going to see it. So I opened the door to cameras. Here's where I did exercise my authority as a husband and a father. None of those pictures will ever be seen by anyone. It's a good thing when I'm the one who pays for the phones, right? So, but I just hate exchanging things. And so what I would do is just say, oh, I love it. Thank you. And I would hang it in my closet. I've got stuff hanging in my closet that, that I should have exchanged. I've got a pair of pants. And guys, you, we all have that pair of pants, guys. Now, ladies, I'm sure you too, but guys, we have that pair of pants. It's hung in our closet so long, it's got the dust line 
on the hanger. You know what I'm talking about. I got a pair of black pants for the women's dinner. I pull them out, put them on. I got this brown streak on them from the dust. I was like, well, this isn't going to work. So I just, I just have stuff in there that, that I just need to get rid of, you know, and, and we all have that. And, you know, we can joke about clothes and some of y'all going to get clothes that you don't like. You know, just be honest. Go exchange it. You're not going to hurt their feelings. Be kind and all that. But, but there's things that we, we wish we would have exchanged. And, and see, I could take it beyond clothes and that's where we're going today. Because we all got stuff hanging in the closet that, that we tend to wear that we don't like. But how many of us are wearing things in our life that we wish we would have exchanged a long time ago? Maybe, maybe somebody's hurt you in your past. Maybe you got brokenness. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's anger. It's just something about your past that, that you wish you would have exchanged, that you, you wish you didn't have to wear anymore. And I've got good news for you. Jesus can do that. He's in the exchange business. And he doesn't, he's not the, the crazy store that, that you only have so many days to exchange it, that there's always a way to exchange through Christ. And he always takes it. If you got your Bibles, go to Colossians chapter three, and we're gonna spend our time there this morning uh, and, and, and looking at this exchange. But, but to, to help set this up, um, this, this book of Colossians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, who was a radically transformed man and, and a church planter, and he'd help plant churches, and he wrote letters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this letter called Colossians is a letter written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a church in Colossae. And he spends the first couple chapters really beautifully laying out some theology. In chapter one, one of my favorite chapters in scripture uh, talks about the supremacy of Christ, that, that in him, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity of God was pleased to dwell, and that it teaches us this theological truth that we were alienated, we were separated from God, but God who is rich in mercy brought us near by the blood of Christ. He made peace with us through the blood of Christ on the cross. And he begins to just share this beauty and this, this magnif magnificence of who God is and what Christ has done in our lives. And then he moves into some practical applications because we can, we can talk theology, we can talk doctrine, we can talk about who God is and what God does, but ultimately it's gotta move from out here to in here and in here to out there. So it's got to begin to change how we live our life. And, and so Paul goes into chapter three and he talks about this old self, that there's, a, there's an exchange that needs to happen. That when you and I place our life, our faith, our trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, with him being the fullness of the deity of God, with him being the creator and sustainer, that, that by him, through him, and for him, all things were created. And he holds all things together in him and that peace that's in him. And, and if we're gonna trust him with that and place our faith in that and let that transform our life, then there's this exchange that happens. There, there's the old that is gone and the new that has come. And 2 Corinthians teaches us that the, we're a new creation in Christ that the old is, is gone, the new has come. It's a picture of baptism. When we do water baptism, we, we take you under the water and we say you're buried with Christ. You're crucified with Christ. The, the, the 
The line in the song you just heard was, that rugged cross was my cross too. You share, we share in the crucifixion of Christ, that when you're baptized, you're buried with him in likeness of death, and then you're raised to walk in this new life. It's new. It's a new that, that has come. And so what happens is there's this constant exchange of the old and the new that goes on in our life. Jesus was teaching a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about how we're saved, how we're, we're, we're born again. And, and Jesus said, spirit must give birth to spirit. And so what happens is when we place our faith in Jesus as our Savior, our Redeemer, and we submit ourselves under the weight of his grace and mercy, he changes us. And there's an exchange that happens, and the Holy Spirit moves in and, and takes up residence. And the Holy Spirit has a specific work in us that, that, that he, he marks us for the day of salvation, that he marks us as the children of God, that the Holy Spirit is there to remind us and to lead us into truth, that the Holy Spirit, uh, it, it, we become his temple. But that's, the, that's, a, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also has a ministry that begins to take up root in us. And that ministry is the constant process of growing us into the image and likeness of Jesus. And so Paul's teaching the church in Colossae. He's saying there are things that you need to take off and there's things you need to put on. And so in verse 5 is where we'll start. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He wrote, Paul wrote to the church in Rome and he said, he said that we have been crucified with Christ, that when we place our faith in him, that on the cro cross, he covered everything for us and we submit to that, then we share in that, that we have been crucified. He said, so therefore put to death what is earthly in you. He goes on the list, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Take them off. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. What's happening is he's saying, there are things that we need to take off. There's things that, look, you don't need to just take them out of the closet and try to donate them to somebody else. There's some things that just need to go in the trash, okay? Don't sit there cleaning out your closet going, well, I wonder if somebody could use this. No, it's ugly, it's nasty, it's ripped up. You don't wear it anymore, don't give it away, just throw it away. And what Paul's saying is there's things that we just gotta, we've gotta put away. We've gotta get rid of. We've gotta put them to death and take off. And what I love about the goodness of God and the mercy of God is that he never tells us to take something off without giving us something to put on. He, does, he doesn't say, hey, change this in your life, but replace it with this. You see, see, Christianity is not behavioral modification. It's a complete transformation. It's taking off the old and putting on the new. And so Paul says, these are things that we need to take off. These are things that cause incredible difficulties in our, our identities. These are things that cause pain in our life, that cause brokenness in our relationships. He said, these are the things to put off. These are the things that you're born into. Let them go. Make the exchange. And he says then in verse 12, put on then. Take it off, put it on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, 
forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's it's a process of exchange. Take it off, put it on. And that becomes, grace is what allows this exchange to happen. A lot of theologians say, they would say, these these are the taking off the the flesh clothes and putting on the grace clothes. And when we think about grace, it's it's an amazing thing. I think grace is a word that that the church kind of throws around flippantly and we miss the power in it. But what we have to understand about grace, we have to understand about amazing grace is that it changes everything. It changes everything. It changes how I view my past. It changes how I live in the present. And it changes my future. It's a magnificent thing. I, I, I experienced an incredible weight of grace yesterday morning. One of our Creek family, Pam Jones, went home to be with the Lord. And um, as we sat in her room in the hospital before, uh, before they unplugged everything, we prayed. And as we prayed, there was just this weight of grace that filled the room. It, it was tangible. It was You could just, the sense of it was just awesome, amazing. And her husband, Jim, was holding her hand and he, he prayed a simple prayer after that. He said, Jesus, take her home. And within a minute, she went home. But the grace still lingered because the grace was ministering to us. And someone in the room started singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And the words of that song just become so real because when you experience the amazingness of grace, it changes everything. It changes identity. It changes how we grieve because grace means we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We felt the presence of God in that hospital room to such a point that we know as she drew her last breath that the loving arms of Jesus were welcoming her home because that's where her identity is found. Identity is a big thing. Paul starts out in verse 12. He says, he said, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, those are descriptors in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, it's a description of the church. The church, you and I, the body of Christ. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones. That, that, that chosen comes from Ephesians chapter one, verse four, that in him, in Christ, he chose us 
before the foundation of the world. What that means is that, that we uh, have this beautiful knowledge through the word of God that before God spoke anything into existence, that he had a plan for our salvation, that, that you and I were on his mind before he created anything, that he knew that Christ, that Jesus would be born in the fullness of time. He knew when he would come and all the fullness of God would be pleased to dwell and wrapped up in Jesus. He would be fully man and fully God. He would live a sinless life, a perfect life. And that sinless life that he walked would walk him up a hill that we call Calvary, that he would lay himself willingly on a cross and he would receive the nails. He would wear the crown of thorns. He would bear our shame. He would take our guilt. He would take our sin upon his own shoulders, and he himself and only himself would absorb the wrath of God against our sin and the punishment that we so rightly deserve, and by grace pour out forgiveness and reconciliation for all of us. That's what it means when he says chosen ones. He says, you're holy, you're set apart. I have made you my righteousness, and you're loved. And so Paul's saying this in this letter to get their attention. To get their attention that, that this grace you've experienced reframes everything. And since you've experienced this grace and it changes everything, and I've got your attention because your identity is not broken. Your identity is, is not an addict. Your identity is not a felon. Your identity is not divorced. Your identity is not widowed. Your identity is not broken. Your identity is holy, chosen, beloved in Christ. Now that I've got your attention, Paul says, God chooses to display his grace through us. It's not just something around us. I mean, it, the grace enveloped us yesterday, but God chooses to display through us his grace. Because the church, the holy, beloved, chosen ones, the church, you and I, the redeemed in Christ are the plan for the world. The church is not a plan B. God chooses to use you and I, broken people who've been changed by grace to reach those with grace. God chooses to work through us and display his grace through us. And the world so desperately needs to see the grace of God at work in us. And he says, he says so this grace, uh, this exchange, when you put off the old, you take on the new. And this is what the grace looks like. Some theologians would say these are the grace clothes. And the first thing he says, that, that holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts. Put on compassion. Compassion is simply being able to, to feel what someone else feels. It's the answer to the question, can you put yourself in someone else's shoes? Yesterday I saw that in an incredible way. The, the, the attending nurse at the hospital had such compassion. And if you're in the medical community, I, I love you and I appreciate you. And I understand how hard it is because you could walk in one room and give the most devastating news that a family has ever heard. And then you can walk into the next room and give the answer to the prayer request that they've been praying for for months. I know you're on an emotional roller coaster. And I know how easy it is 
to just begin to numb things over and just move through your day to where this nurse could have easily said, it's just another day, it's just another sickness, it's just another death, it's just another process. But as we prayed over Pam for God to just open his arms to her and the grace filled this room, this nurse hurt with us. This nurse cried with us, that's compassion. Compassion is what drives the body of Christ in this perspective that when one hurts, we all hurt. When one celebrates, we all celebrate. He says, put on this compassion. He goes on the list. He says, put on, he put on me, uh, uh, kindness. Kindness is, is, is kind of how we interact and, and the display of kindness that you had towards the, the, the school district with all the gifts we're saved by God's kindness. Romans chapter, chapter two, it says, do you presume on the riches of his, of his forbearance and patience, which is on the list, we'll talk about that in a minute, but not knowing that God's kindness is meant to draw us, to lead us to repentance. See, the whole, the whole reason for the gifts is not to say, hey, the creek is great, look what we did. It's to show kindness to the community around us because through the kindness that God has shown us by saving us, that we operate in kindness to our community and they are drawn to repentance. Most of the families that we help may never come to the creek. They're welcome and I pray they do. But it's not about that. It's about them seeing God's kindness through us so that they can then turn to God for that source of hope. He says, put on kindness. He says, put on meekness. Meekness is, um, I'm sorry, the next one is humility. Um, put on humility. Humility is, okay, it's the, it's the opposite of pride. And it's amazing how pride can destroy relationships. It's amazing how pride can just set us up for an incredible fall. If you look at even the word pride, I is at the center of it. Pride puts me at the center of my universe and makes it all about me. And so what happens when somebody causes an offense or they hurt me, they hurt my feelings, and if I'm working in pride, I'm like, I'm never forgiving that person because it's all about me. They did this to me. They did this to me. They should think about me. They should do this for me. It's all about me, 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 me. That will get us nowhere. Humility means it's the opposite. It's not about me. Humility is not thinking, listen, it's not thinking too lowly of yourself, but it's seeing yourself in Christ. And in Philippians chapter two tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's pride. Selfishness, vanity, conceitedness, it's all about me. Do nothing out of your pride, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each look not only to his own interest, but the interest of others. And then he says this, having this mind among you. What mind is this? It's the mind of Christ who humbled himself, emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. That's humility. Humility says this isn't about me. When he says, Paul writes in this passage, he says that we're called to be one body. Humility says it's about us. It's not an I, it's a we. 
And, and then the next one after humility is meekness. Meekness is power under control. You have an incredible power at work within you through the power of the Holy Spirit who, who, gives, us, he, who gives us beauty in how he controls that. But there's also other powers that we have. I mean, use your powers for good. James says in James chapter three, consider your tongue. Consider how great of a ship is steered by such a small rudder that this power of the wind is harnessed in this massive ship by this small rudder. Consider the, a horse that is untamed, but when you can bridle the horse and break the horse, you have this extreme power to do something for good. And then he says, consider your tongue. This, your tongue is a small part of your body, but look at the power that it has. Meekness is this. It's not weakness, but it's exercising control over the power you've had. When it comes to our tongues, it's our words. Think about the words that we speak. Your words. Some of you are already nervous and, uh, and getting a little tense and anxious about some family meetings you're gonna have this week and dinners and gathering times where you're exchanging gifts and you're already starting to feel anxious about that. And I wanna encourage you, I wanna challenge you that your words have power. Your words have power to ignite a situation. Your words have power to throw gasoline on a situation that's already been ignited. Or your words have power to bring the soothing, calming peace of God to rule hearts. You have that power. That's the meekness. That's us being able to control how we speak, how we roll with it. Patience, he says. Put on patience. This, the Greek word translated really means long temper. Let me give you a Texas version. It's short-fused. Okay, and it's amazing. Traffic shortens my fuse. You know what has given me some long-tempered? Express lanes. <laughs> James says in chapter one, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. When we are quick to anger, we typically end up doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Now, it's not a sin to get angry but it's a sin to stay angry and then sin out of that. And when we exchange it, we exchange our anger for patience. It means we, we're exchanging our quick, quick fuse, our short fuse, for a longer one, which means we don't get triggered immediately, which means we have the ability to respond instead of react. And so we have patience with one another. Forbearance or bearing with one another is what Paul writes. Forbearance means this, just to hold each other up. When one of our family hurts, we come around and we hold them up. Jim, who is grieving, was in our 830 service this morning. And I made a commitment to him in front of the 830 service that I will make in front of all the services that we will hold him up. He will not walk through this alone. He is our family. We hurt with him. And we're gonna hold him up. That's forbearance. And when you need strength, we hold you up with the power of God working in us, through us. Then he says forgiveness. Forgiveness is a tough one, man, because we gotta give it like we receive it. We get confused in, in, in how forgiveness works. And, and, and I get I get. I get some looks when I say this, that forgiveness is immediate and complete, that we forgive not for the benefit of the other person, but for us. 
And, and forgiveness doesn't mean I'm okay with what you did. It means I'm okay. I mean, think about it this. We freely receive forgiveness because of the grace of God. Jesus paid for that with his blood on the cross. Jesus is never okay with our sin nature. Jesus is never okay when we walk around in the identity of our sin nature that Paul says, these things you need to put to death and these things you need to take off. Jesus is never okay with our idolatry. He's never okay with our sexual morality. He's never okay when we're slandering and lying. He's never okay with that, but he freely forgives us because the blood of Christ allows that to happen. And he says, I'm not okay with that, but I'm okay with you. And that's what we have to understand what forgiveness means and what it does in our life. That when we're gonna forgive, we do it immediately and completely. When you hurt me, when you, when you create an offense in my life, it's my responsibility to forgive you because that means I'm not gonna carry it. The people that have hurt you in the past, they don't cycle on the same merry-go-round you do and they think, oh, this is the date that I really hurt Matt. Let me dwell on that for today. They've moved on. I deal with forgiveness and I give it so that I don't carry it, so that I can get off the merry-go-round and I don't become a container of poison that kills me. So forgiveness says I'm okay and I'm not carrying what you did. And when that person, if that person ever comes and says, I'm asking for your forgiveness, I can say it's already been given. Now let's work on reconciliation. That's the difference. Forgiveness is immediate and complete. Reconciliation is limited and progressive. If you hurt me, if you create an offense, I'm gonna forgive you immediately and completely. I might be angry, yeah, I might be hurt, but I'm still gonna forgive you because freely I've been forgiven, I'm gonna forgive like I've been forgiven. But let me tell you about reconciliation. You might not get back to here with me. You might be out here. You continue to come and hurt like that, I'm gonna continue. I will forgive you 70 times seven as long as the day is. But let me tell you something, you will get farther and farther away from me because I'm gonna protect myself. That's what reconciliation is. That's what we need to understand the difference in. We withhold forgiveness thinking we're, we're, we're punishing somebody else. No, you're punishing yourself. He says, forgive. And he says, and above all these, above all these virtues, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the foundation for this. Man, if we're thinking about clothes, love is the belt that ties everything together. Love is the reason for it. Love is the motive for it. Love is the reason for grace. Love is the motive for grace. For God so loved us that he gave his only son. He gave his only son to be sin on our behalf who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and that when we believe in him, the son crucified and resurrected, we can have everlasting life. Not just a hope of a future and eternity, but now. Love binds this all together. Love is how we display the grace of God. Because God's working towards something more ultimate. He's working towards his glory. Because ultimately, God's grace changing us and being displayed in us produces glory through us. 
that we become a product of grace that, that glorifies God. See, everything that we're about is about the glory of God. People go, well, what's the purpose of my life? To glorify God. God, what's your will for my life? To glorify God. I don't know what I should do in this situation. Are you glorifying God? Well, you don't know how hard it is. Well, you can still glorify God even in difficulties. Because he says, look, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts so that there's unity in the body. There's an exchange, division for unity. Let the word of God richly dwell in you so that we can use this as the character of God to shape us in the likeness and image of Jesus. All for the purpose, he says, whatever you do, word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to your father. So, so he also wrote, in other parts of the New Testament, that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So ultimately, we are to produce the glory of God. Jesus said that they will see your deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So how we operate in grace ultimately allows people to glorify God. That's the ultimate purpose. The reason Jesus went to the cross was so God could be glorified. How is he glorified? Through this life changed, through this wretch that is saved by amazing grace. That's the exchange. So I just want to ask you, what, what, what you wearing today? How are you doing in this? Do you need to make an exchange? Because if you do, we're, we're here to help. We want to help you. We want to walk with you. Maybe you need to clean out some things. Maybe there's some things you need to leave at the altar today. Our prayer team is here. If you need more time, we'll, we'll go into the prayer room. Well, let's make some exchanges. I just, just want to, how, how you doing? It, it is the peace of Christ ruling in your heart. Are you allowing his word to dwell in you, to transform you? Because today's the day the exchanges can happen. And we can live lives of grace, by grace, for grace, through grace, all for his glory. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we love you and we thank you for this grace, this, this amazing grace. And we thank you that this grace exchanges everything in our life, that your grace exchanged this wretch for the righteousness of God. That your grace exchanges what's broken for what's reconciled, changes ashes to beauty, blindness to sight. Heal us, take our brokenness. God, some of us came in here with identities that were gifted to us that we've continued to wear. We ask your help in exchanging that today to take it off. We lay anger at your feet for the joy. We lay pain at your feet for the peace 
I just pray for those in this room that have never trusted you as Savior and Lord. And I pray that you give them courage just to make an exchange with you, Jesus, right now, to say, Jesus, here I am. I want to make an exchange with you. I'm giving you me for all of you. I'm asking your grace to change me. I'm asking your grace to redeem my past, to give me strength in my present, and to secure my future. And I believe that your grace changes everything. And I'll walk out of here wearing your identity and wearing what you want. And I walk out of here knowing you're working in me to make me look more like you. I'm gonna trust you in that. And I commit to you right now to live my life for all of your glory. It's in your beautiful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at